Hello, everybody. Welcome. As we continue on in our study through the New Testament, we are making good time. If you consider five years a good time. But still, we're on track. This is part number 244. Uh, this is chapter 10 of Revelation. 22 chapters. We have 12 weeks. We're going to finish Revelation in February sometime, God willing. And then we'll hop right into the book of Genesis and we'll start our Old Testament journey that will take 15 years, more or less. So I'm very excited about that. And uh, I, those, kind of, those kind of things excite me, I guess. And I, I am looking forward to it greatly. Um, but right now we're in Revelation. And uh, I love that, you know, that we can look at Revelation now with a, with a thorough understanding of you've been coming of what's been happening at the church at this point and having gone through the New Testament now and the, and the Gospels and seeing the ministry of Jesus and then through the epistles and, and, uh, and the book of Acts and we can see the ministry of the early church and what they've been doing and what the apostles have been up to and how the church has been growing and we studied, you know, and we looked at the persecution the church was facing and what they were doing and the false teachers and the false teachings and now we're getting towards the end of, you know, the, the sort of, you know, John is kind of the last guy in that inner circle and he's writing here at the end of his life. Um, you know, 85, 90 uh, AD, somewhere in there, and uh, he's been given this revelation by Jesus. He's writing it down, and, and um, it's very cool. It's very hard to understand. Um, for some people, they find it very um, unnerving and unsettling, and there are parts of it that certainly are. The judgment of God is a um, uh, it's an unnerving thing, um, and there's no doubt about that. Uh, and um, reading it and, and thinking about it can be can be difficult, but always knowing that as his kids, as his friends, as his followers, those who believe in him, you know, we don't have to fear any of those things. He's with us and for us and has us forever. And so we're, um, we're taking time, a chapter at a time, to go through Revelation. Uh, you know, I certainly can't explain everything in there because not everything can be explained. And there are some things that there's lots of different ideas about and there's a lot of different ways to interpret the book of Revelation. Um, I've, you know, mentioned four or five, and we've looked at those a little bit, and I've said primarily I have a futurist viewpoint of Revelation, which means I believe that the events in the book haven't happened yet, that we're waiting for them to happen. Um, that's a futurist viewpoint. Not everybody holds that, and that's okay. Um, with a futurist viewpoint, there are some things, you know, as we, uh, you know, how that, then with that viewpoint, how do we deal with, you know, um, the church during this time? Is the church here through all of tribulation? Is the church here for half of tribulation? Does the church get to go before the tribulation happens? We talked about each one of those points a little bit in, in process. I said to you, I lean towards the idea that the church is not here for the tribulation because of the way I understand the Feast of Israel. And I talked about that already too. You can go back and look those things up if you would like. But I would lean towards that. However, I, you know, I wouldn't bet the farm on it. I don't know where that expression came from. <laughs> um, but it, I don't think it's one of those things you have to be like, I mean, you can be settled on it. That's cool. I mean, you've got to be settled on Jesus and all that. But this stuff is it's prophetic. We don't know. And, uh, and so we, you know, we look at it. We study it. Um, it's a book with a promise. And, and uh, I like that. And I like the idea that it's um, as difficult as it is to read. It's about Jesus coming back. And I'm excited about Jesus coming back. Um, knowing that Jesus is coming back. Um, gives me hope because he's coming back and, and we get all sorts of neat new stuff when that happens. At the same time, it's also motivation to tell people about Jesus because Jesus is coming back. And if they haven't figured it out before he gets back, it's, it's not a good situation. And so, um, you know, it's a, it's a motivator 
to let the people that we encounter and the people that we love and our family and our friends to somehow uh, continually look for ways to um, be used by the Spirit of God to help them come to know Jesus. And, and you know, constant prayer. And I, you know, not all ways are good ways. I've kind of teased with you about how when I first became a Christian and I thought everybody should know, and I, my, that, that, that Christmas, that first Christmas, I bought everybody in the, in the family Bibles and, uh, for Christmas gifts and they didn't go over real well. And that first, uh, that first Halloween, everybody that came to the door, I gave them New Testaments, all the kids. I never, I don't believe we've had a trick-or-treater since. <laughs> like some sort of sign went up, don't go there. But that was just my, you know, and, 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 and uh, over time, I found there's much better ways to have opportunity to tell people about Jesus, mostly after they know that you love them and care for them and all those things happen and, and you know so so anyway we're looking at all that and that's kind of off track from where we're at in Revelation although as I read Revelation that's one of the things I'm reminded that uh, um, we should never take lightly ever the judgment and the wrath of God and you know some people want to go well that was you know that was the God of the Old Testament we got this New Testament God who's not like that they don't read Revelation what they what you have to balance into the mix is his mercy and grace which is apparent even in the Old Testament um, but but God, sin has to be dealt with. Sin does not get looked away and go, oh, well, no big deal. Um, and unrepentant sin is, is judged by God. Um, you know, when we come to know Jesus, fortunately, he takes it all for us, and that's an amazing, amazing gift and, and God's way of having life with him forever. But for the people who refuse, and we see it in Revelation how hard-hearted people are, and you encounter them all the time, I do all the time, just hard-hearted people for whatever reason, and I, my prayer is constantly that their hearts will be softened through whatever events in life that, that might come their way that, that it would help to soften their hearts although sometimes things seem to just make people harder and harder and, and you know that's it's just part of the deal but I don't believe anybody is beyond help or hope and I, I mean that very seriously that um, that's one of the things we were just studying in our Old Testament survey class our Bible Institute on Sunday nights about the book of Jonah and if you read Jonah, one of the things that you, you find out is that, you know, it, it, God cares about everybody and wants everybody to repent. Everybody. And because the, 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 uh, the Ninevites, they were Assyrian, they were horrendous people. I mean, just horrendous. Evil as evil gets. And yet, God wanted them to repent and gave them an opportunity. There was a huge revival that hit Nineveh because of uh, Jonah's ministry, finally. I mean, that, that he didn't want to go and do. And I love the fact that Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh because he knew that God was gracious and compassionate and he didn't want the Ninevites to get saved. He said, no, I, I want you to destroy them. I hate them. You, I want you to wipe them out. And if I go there and tell them about you, they're going to go, okay, and you're going to spare them. And that's exactly what happened and Jonah's never happy about it. Anyway, maybe he is ultimately, but we laughed because it takes, you know, Jonah gets swallowed by a big fish. I believe that happened. Some sort of big fish wallow up Jonah. He's inside it for three days. And it's a full three days before he repents. And I was teasing with a group. If you got swallowed by a big fish and you were alive in his tummy, would it take you three days to cry out to God? About three seconds for me. Help me! I'll do whatever. Help me! But that's me. Not Jonah. Okay. Revelation 10. Only 11 verses. I'll read them to you. We'll talk about it. Beginning in verse 1. Then I saw another mighty angel 
coming down from heaven. And he was robed in a cloud with a rainbow above his head. His face was like the sun and his legs were like fiery pillars. He was holding a little scroll which lay open in his hand. He planted his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. And he gave a loud shout like the roar of a lion. And when he shouted, the voices of the seven thunders spoke. And when the seven thunders spoke, I was about to write. But I heard a voice from heaven say, Seal up what the seven thunders have said, and do not write it down. Then the angel I had seen standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven, and he swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created the heavens and all that is in them, the earth and all that is in it, and the sea and all that is in it, and said, There will be no more delay. But in the days when the seventh angel is about to sound his trumpet, the mystery of God will be accomplished just as he announced to his servants the prophets. Then the voice that I had heard from the heaven from heaven spoke to me once more, Go, take the scroll that lies open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and asked him to give me the little scroll, and he said to me, Take it and eat it. It will turn your stomach sour, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. And I took the little scroll from the angel's hand and ate it. It tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I had eaten it, my stomach turned sour. And then I was told, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, languages, and kings. Blessed be the word of the Lord. That really doesn't need any explanation, does it? <laughs> uh, let's talk about it a little. Just in case. Now, the first six verses... This mighty angel comes, and, and he's described as a mighty angel. He sets his, his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land, and um, he, he's described as being, you know, this, this, is a, this is not some, like, regular-sized angel, if there is a regular-sized angel. I don't know what you think about when you think about an angel. A lot of times you think about an angel, we think they're just like people, you know, and, and, and they're more than that, but... Um, Apparently not all angels are the same, and some angels are mighty angels, and this angel is huge enough that he can actually get himself, so he's got a leg on the land and a leg in the ocean, and I don't think he's standing on the beach. Um, he, he's planted in this huge angel in this you know, display of the authority of God and, and uh, his rank as an angel. And this isn't the seventh trumpet angel. This is some other angel. You know, I would say that this is probably along the archangel type, you know, like Michael or somebody. This is a significant, um, mighty angel, and, and he's huge in stature. And his, his standing on the earth and the sea is a picture of his authority from God. And I read that, and I think, I, I think this, um, I'm really glad that angels are on our side. Do you ever think, you know, sometimes we get, we get this idea of, we forget how big God is, and we start thinking the enemy's so massive and mighty, and yet we got angels that can stand, literally, with a foot on the sea and a foot on the earth, and these are just the angels. Um, you know, it's not even the whole deal. And they're on us, our side. Therefore, Hebrews 1.14 says, Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? How is that? How cool is that? Matthew 18.10 uh, See that you do not look down on one of these little ones, for I tell you that they are angels in heaven. Always see the face of my Father in heaven. We have angels um, at work somehow. Not always sure how, but, uh, but at work. And I, I believe that seriously. Um, 
if we have time, I'll talk about an experience I have. I don't know if I'm going to have time. Remind me if I get to the end and there's time. I'll tell you about angel experience. Um, so this angel, this huge angel, is holding a uh, little scroll. Uh, and, and this is not the scroll that we saw in chapter 5, the scroll with the seven seals and the judgments of God. This, um, th- that scroll had a, a revelation of judgments against evil. This scroll, we don't know what the contents are because John is told what they are and he's not allowed to share them with us. How about that? That would have been very handy, don't you think? I, I kind of like to know what's on that scroll, that little scroll, and yet, uh, a voice from heaven says, not yet, not now. Don't write it down. He's writing everything else down. Can you? I'm sure because he was about to write. Oh, that's good. <laughs> no. no, you can't write that down. Uh. So you can't write it down. But you know, this book. So see, see, throughout history, people have always wanted to know what the future holds. It's like if we could only know what the future holds. And some of the events are shown to us in Revelation, but not all of them. And in fact, like I said, part of this whole thing is stopped. Um, we don't get to see it. And this happened to Daniel as well. Um, he, he had stuff that he was hearing about what was coming and in Daniel 12, 8 and 9 it says, I heard but I did not understand so I asked my Lord, what will the outcome of all this be? And he replied, go your way Daniel because the words are closed up and sealed until the time of the end. And so, so um, we, God reveals to us everything that we need to know to live for him fully and abundantly now and forever. And apparently we don't need to know everything. And I think, really, if you knew everything, it would, it would impact you in a negative way. That's my hunch. If you knew everything that the future holds, one of the things you would no longer have to do is live in faith. Because you'd just know. You, there'd be no reason for faith. Right? I mean, you, you, you wouldn't have to. There'd be so many things. And you would, it would change the course of the way that you lived. And, and I don't think it would be a good change. So you don't get to know everything. You get to know enough. You get to know Jesus is coming back. That's good news. You get to know that, that He's made a way for you to have life in Him forever. At the cross, that's good news. Um, that He cares about you. you that's good. You know, all that. You, need to, you get everything you need to know, but you don't know it all. And, and that's okay. Because that keeps you plugged in, I think. I think it's by design. Because, um, you know, I, I do think, I've thought about that. Have you ever wanted to know everything that was good? I mean, all of us have, right? At some point, have you ever wanted to know, you know, well, how does this work? How does everything work out? Like, I just wish I knew how this was going to work out. Especially in those times when you don't know how anything's going to work out. And yet, somehow, if you knew, it would, it, would, it would impact it in a way that wouldn't be good. So, we don't know. He gives us enough to live for Him day in, day out, and all that we'll need, and everything that we need to make it. He's faithful to give us that, but that's how He does things. Then, uh... In verse 7, the great man, God's mysterious plan will be fulfilled. God's mysterious plan. You know what God's mysterious plan is? We, we do actually know what it is because Paul tells us about it. Colossians 2 is one place where he tells it, verses 2 through 4. You can write it down and look it up. My purpose, Paul says, is that they may be encouraged in heart, united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God. Namely, Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this, that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. The mystery of God is the gospel. It's the good news. It's about what he did in Jesus so that we could have life with him forever. And, and that, uh, that this has been made known to us. Ephesians 1, Paul says this, 7 through 10, In him we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure 
which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. So um, the mystery is that Christ has made a way, and, and he's come once, and he's coming back again, and when he comes back again, he's going to begin the process of putting everything back together, and at the end of that millennial reign, he will hand everything back in perfect, absolute, almost, you know, like it was brand new, created back to God and everything is straightened out and there's no more sin and there's no more mess and, and the rest of eternity for us continues on in the way that we were intended when we were created to live and the mystery is revealed in Christ that's what's happening this, this wave of judgment that must take place is to get everything sorted out in the process and leads up to this journey but our understanding is and, and I keep saying Jesus is coming back and as believers, that is good news. Then in verse 9 and 10, um, John's told to eat this little scroll. And the scroll was sweet to his taste, but sour on his stomach. Now that's interesting if you wonder about that. Because what happens is this. See, see, the Word of God is sweet to us as believers. And it brings us encouragement. But it also sours our stomach because the coming judgments which will befall believers. See, it's, it's one of those things. Um, so I look forward to Jesus coming back because I know I'm settling him. At the same time, there are people who I know who don't yet know him that, that it would, it would um, I, I want to know him before he comes back. And so the, the idea that he's coming back is, in, in the Bible it's called the great and terrible day of the Lord. It's great for all who believe. It is not great for those who don't. And that's sort of that whole sweet to my mouth, sour my stomach deal. It's a, it's a you know, it depends on where you're at in the process. But we should never, you know, look, you know, want people to... We want people to get saved. That's the heart of God. The people that have wronged us, everybody. We want them to know Jesus. That's our, at, the, at our heart, what, what we're looking for. So, um, as we continue on over these next few weeks in Revelation, you're going to see the events that happen um, that, that lead up to the end of this age. Um, when, you, when you look through the Bible, um, the Bible talks about this present age, which is evil and the age to come which is eternal and it's two separate ages some older translations actually call those worlds this world and the world to come but it's ages it's it's time the word is um, a-e-o-n in the Greek and it means a time period and that this this time period that we're in now is is this present age and it's it's um it's a it's an evil age in second Corinthians 4 3 and 4 you can write it down um, Paul says and even if our gospel is veiled it's veiled to those who are perishing the little g-god of this age, that's the enemy, has blinded the minds of believers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So this present evil age, which is um, um, where the enemy has been given, you know, sort of some room to roll in, uh, roam and do some of the things here, as we've talked about, um, uh, that, that he's been permitted, in effect, by God to rule over anyone that's not submitted to God. That's that's the deal how that works if they're not submitted to God the enemy has the right to rule over them once you come to Christ he no longer has that right but uh, apart from that see and that's the big issue and, and so um, we've talked about that the ages and kingdoms are very, very similar um, and that the character of this age is evil and and uh, in Paul you know Ephesians Paul says this this is Ephesians 2 1 and 2 you may want to write this down as for you you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world or this age and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient so this is an evil age this present age is evil but what we're reading in Revelation now is that this evil age 
is coming to an end. And there's another age referred to in the Bible by Jesus, which is called the age to come. And, uh, and he does that, uh, um, well, Paul does it and Jesus does it. Paul does it in Ephesians 1.21, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that being given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. Two ages, this evil age and the one to come. Uh, Jesus in Matthew 24.3, his disciples say, um, tell us, they said, what will happen? When will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So we know with his coming, this evil age is going to be terminated. Um, Revelation 19, we see that happen. And, and, uh, and so I just wanted to talk real quickly about the age part so that you get an idea of what's taking place. Now, this evil age is coming to an end in Revelation, followed by the age to come with this little thousand-year thing called the millennium sandwiched in there somehow. It's there. I'm just not sure exactly how it works, but it's there. And, uh, but anyway, um, I have ideas, but again, just ideas. So that's uh, 10 to... You want to hear my angel story? Okay. Hey. So that, maybe I told you... So you might have heard it. So you might, this might be a letdown. I was 19 years old. I wasn't a believer. Um, in fact... You know, I, I wouldn't go as far to say I was an atheist, but I was agnostic. So, whatever that looks like. I, you know, I didn't really believe there was a God, but if there was a God, I figured we were probably okay. <laughs> I have no idea why I wasn't a good person at all. <laughs> but I, I don't know why we have those thoughts. You ever have those thoughts? I just kind of was in that spot. Ah, my good outweighs my bad. There's no way it did, but nonetheless. I did drugs and I hung out and did all sorts of things. Not a good situation. Anyway, anywho. So I'm working on a power plant, Midland, Michigan, nuclear power plant being built. And uh, my job, I was an engineering student and this was in the summer. My job was to go around early in the morning and make sure that the safety people had done their jobs, which was to go into these places and make sure that the air was of a breathable quality because on these big nuclear plants, the welding that was done often would use this gas called argon, and argon gas is very dangerous because it displaces oxygen. All right, and so in places where it can pool, if people are working in there, they can get a lot of trouble. So the safety people go around and do their thing, and then uh, one of my responsibilities in the morning was to go around and make sure they had done their things and these places were safe. So I'm on my rounds doing my thing in the morning, 19-year-old uh, engineering student, and uh, I get to this spot, and there's this tank there, and it's part of this, the big steam producing things in a nuclear tank. These are huge steel tanks. They're, they're probably 30 feet high. Um, and they're, I don't know, 10, 12 feet across. And um, there's, um, they were on the top. There was, it's great that you could walk on. So you, and they were, they were doing work down in this tank. And the way you would, there was an opening on this tank. And, and you could, there's a ladder inside about this narrow. And you could climb down this ladder to work down and do welding inside the tank. And they should have, it should have been flushed all the time with oxygen so that it was safe. But uh, apparently on this day, somebody had been welding further down on the line that was hooked to the tank, and the argon gas had made its way down and pooled in this tank, and the safety people hadn't found it yet. And a subcontractor out on the job, one of the boss guys, for whatever reason, decided he would go look into this tank before the safety people got there. Don't know why. He had put himself in the tank and started down the ladder and fallen off the ladder because it was filled with argon and he had dropped a pretty good distance into the bottom of this tank. Not good. And the guy who was with him was yelling hysterically, help, 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 he's fallen. 
Well, I'm 19. I'm not really thinking much other than he's fallen. I had just taken first aid in college. So I go, well, I can go help the guy, you know. There's nobody else here. So I get in the tank. I'm in pretty good shape at 19. Shooting down the ladder. I get down to the bottom of the tank. And he's down there. He's not moving. I have the thought that I should see if he's breathing. I had that thought when I left. You know, I would check to see if he was breathing. And I can tell you that I got down to him, checked to see if he was breathing, and don't remember anything else for a while. Because there was no oxygen in the tank. I didn't know that. No oxygen. You're, and fascinatingly, your brain shuts off <laughs> without oxygen. Uh, it's, not, it's not good. So, blackout for a while. The next memory I have, there's, there's chaos in the bottom of this tank. I can't even begin to figure it out. My brain's not fully working. But um, the, the safety people have finally arrived and they um, have light down in there on their helmets and they, they brought compressed air hoses with them. They just dragged them down. And so they're blowing compressed air full blast into this thing, trying to bring some oxygen into the tank. And um, at one point he, he brushed it around my face. I got some oxygen. <gasps> And you got to look at everything, and I, could, I had this idea, I could see what's happening. And now, though, there's not just the safety guy standing there. There are like 10 people laid out on this tank. Everywhere you look, there's somebody at the bottom of the tank. It's like, this isn't good. And, and uh, I remember having that thought, this isn't good. Then I don't remember many more thoughts. And then I got another chunk of oxygen my way, and I'm like, I want to get out of here. <laughs> it's a pretty good thought. And so I got up and stumbled to the ladder. And I actually fell into the ladder. Steel, not good. Boom! Hit the ladder. And the safety guy came back and he stuck the hose in my face again. He was just trying to keep me alive, figuring out what they were going to do with all these people. And uh, I got another shot of oxygen and I'm like, I'm good. And I took up off the ladder. And it's really weird. So I'm going up the ladder and, and this ladder's only this wide, but somebody is next to me going up this ladder. I go to fall off like three times this ladder, and there's an arm next to me, and they throw me, it's on the ladder, it's got me there. Helps me all the way up to the top of the ladder. We get to the top of the ladder, a couple guys up there pull me out, and uh, I'm okay. I, I, you know, start to walk around, get fresh air, I'm fine. Uh, like ten guys got, they had to pull them out with a crane to get them out of there. Um, they had all gone in to help, and the guy who fell died. Um, so it, it was not a good situation. Um, anyway. Later that day, there's reports to be made about all this stuff. And the safety guy comes to me and he said, I was down there, I was putting a hose in your face, you know, tell me what happened. I told him how I'd gotten down there and stuff. And I said, look, I want to thank whoever it was that was with me on the way up the ladder. He said, what are you talking about? I said, well, somebody was with me up the ladder. I don't know how they did it, but I kept going to fall off the ladder. And somebody was with me, holding me on the ladder. And he just looked at me and he goes, nobody's with you. We kept thinking you were going to fall in on everybody else. I said, no, no, somebody was definitely with me. So I'm telling you, there was nobody with you on the ladder. All right. So scattered brain and everything, I promise you somebody was with me on that lap. There wasn't anybody there. Now, that was one of those moments, even when I think about it now, I get a little goosey bumps. Uh, there was definitely somebody with me on the ladder. So to me, uh, you know, after thinking about it for years, at the time I didn't have the capacity to think about it. It was an angel, I believe, and because there were things that I got, you know, had in store for me. And uh, even though I, hadn't, I didn't know him yet, he knew me. And apparently I was young enough, I still had an angel watching out for me, and he decided to pick me out of the tank, which I'm grateful for. Um, and I was down there, be, be, all those guys, all of them were in the hospital, the ones that came out after me. I was down there way longer than all of them. But for whatever reason, I got up and walked it off. So, um, years later, I had that revelation, ah, <laughs> that was an angel. And I'm convinced it was to this day. So, you know, you might not believe my angel story, but uh, 
But I certainly believe that I had an angel at work at that time and that God's very active and involved. And so when you hear me talking about God's ever-presence in my life, I believe it. He is extremely present all the time and wants the best for us. He does it because he wants us to experience life. And the life I was experiencing wasn't life at all. And, and you know, I kind of walked that off at that experience too and it took me another six years. Um, and, and that's the, if you ever hear me tell my story about the guy who had me all night and my Baptist friend who preached well the gospel presented the gospel to me all that night it was that night and I was like yeah I don't see how you guys have any fun that was my can you believe after all that but I got to tell you I'd gone from not believing at all to believing big time oh there was something but I'm like yeah and I, it sounded good the gospel message really at 19 sounded pretty good to me except for how do you guys have any fun and uh, I just didn't get it I wish I had got it well God used the next six years of the mess that I lived to help me too but but uh, I would, I would submit to you, if, if you can, and you don't know Jesus yet, go ahead. It's the best thing you'll do. By far. Absolutely. No doubt about it. Best way to find life. Okay. Good enough. That's my angel story. And I'm sticking to it. <laughs> if you're watching by TV or video, thank you. Come and visit us. We'd love to have you. But that's enough for today.